So we're going to talk about what it means to be a human being. Uh, what does it mean to live as a human being? What does it mean to be a good human being? What did God intend when he created human beings? Uh, what, what makes up a human being? We're going to talk about the body and the mind and the heart and the soul and the spirit. Is there a distinction? What is the distinction? Should we be aware of? And how do we live out any type of distinction that should be noticed there? Uh, But before we get into any of that, I think the first place that we need to start is Genesis 1 through 3. Okay, so if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be. Genesis 1 through 3. Well, probably tonight just Genesis 1 and 2. Um, But before we get into that, before we really look at it. Most of us are probably pretty familiar with the first two chapters of Genesis. Let's just discuss it for just a second. What is the primary purpose, in your opinion, what's the primary purpose of the first three chapters of Genesis? Okay. Good deal. Okay. Okay, yeah, so to declare the omnipotence and the power of God, to, to give us an idea of where things came from, the existence of things. Freddie, was that what you were going to say too? I'm sorry, origin. brother. The origin. Okay, good. A good word. Yeah, in fact, that's what Genesis means, right? It's the beginning. It's the origin of things. Yes, ma'am. God's desire to have a relationship. God's desire to have a relationship. Awesome. Very good. Yeah, Absolutely. I would say, in addition to everything that's been said, and and obviously, anytime I ask, what's the primary purpose of something? Um, I used to tell my teenagers, if I ask why something, the answer is almost always to glorify God, right? I mean, that's that's always the answer is to bring glory to God. But I think that I think that what we have to kind of keep in mind is that Genesis one through three gives us the context to understand the rest of the story. It sets the stage, as it were, so that we can understand what is happening. And so we have something to relate the rest of the story to, right? Now, if you remember, if you were part of our How to Study the Bible class, what, what are the, even if you weren't a part of that class, what are the first five books of the Bible about? What, what do we group those together and say these are books of what? Law, right? Law. So that is the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the Law of Moses. And so primarily those five books, while they're historical narratives, they are primarily the law, right? Now, the law is couched in a historical account, right? And the historical account is interwoven with the law, right? So the, the purpose of these five books is for primarily the Hebrew people, but also, as was said before, all people eventually to know this is what it looks like to be God's covenant people, right? So those first five books were primarily to say, when you go into the land of Canaan, out of Egypt, go into Canaan, here's how you are to live, right? And so the first three chapters of the Pentateuch, the first three chapters of the Torah, the law, the instruction from God, the first three chapters set the stage. They help us to know what does it mean to be a human being? Right? What does this mean? Now, it's interesting that most of the questions that we ask when we read the first three chapters of Genesis are not questions that the people that originally read it were asking, right? And so I'm afraid that most of the time, now it doesn't mean that those aren't good questions, right? But we have to primarily interpret the Bible 
the way that the first readers would have read it, right? We have to look at it and say, well, what did this, what was Moses, what was God through Moses communicating to his covenant people as they came out of Egyptian slavery and went into the land of Canaan? What was he communicating with them? What did he want them to understand? So we have to kind of get in that mindset first, and then secondarily, we can answer some of our questions. But I'm afraid that most of the time when we go to the book of Genesis, especially the first three chapters, we're primarily getting things backwards, aren't we? We typically go to it with our questions. And again, those are good questions, but we're really not going to get into those questions. We, we got to understand why is the stage being set this way? Okay, why is the stage for the law being set in this way? Now, again, and I just want to preface, surely you know this by now, but obviously what is being said is true, right? It's true, um, but it's being told in such a way so that it sets the stage um, for his people to understand what it means to walk with God as their God. So, Here's an interesting thing that we see in uh, the, first three, the first chapter, really, um, is a correlation, a symmetry. And I, I never really had picked up on this until recently somebody pointed this out. I thought it was kind of neat to kind of look at why the days are the way that they are, maybe, perhaps. Um, and so there's some symmetry between the days. So look at days one and day, or day one, rather, and day four of Genesis chapter one. So that would be... Day one is Genesis 1, 3 through 5. Day four is chapter 1, 14 through 19. So what do you notice is the correlation between day one and day four? What's that? Light. Absolutely. So what is God primarily doing on the first day of creation? What's he primarily doing? Okay, speaking into existence, absolutely. He says, let there be light, and there's light. And then what does he do next? It's kind of interesting what he does next, right? What does it say? He separates the light from the dark. Well, I don't really know exactly how that works, right? But, but if you go through this chapter, separation is a huge part of what God is doing. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? We don't typically think of what God is doing as separating things. But what would you, if you were separating stuff in your house, what would you call that? <laughs> That's good, man. I, sometimes I go fishing for a question or an answer and then they, it takes forever, but that was good. Yeah, you're organizing, right? If you're separating stuff, you're organizing. So in addition to God creating things, a big part of what Genesis 1 is about is about organization, isn't it? He's separating light from darkness. So he's creating this place of light and this place of darkness, right? And then in chapter, or in the fourth day, verses 14 through 19, what does he create? What's that? Okay, kind of, yeah, the seasons, yeah, but what, what is it that dictates those? Yes, sun and moon and stars, right? The, the heavenly bodies, the bearers of light, right? the light bearers. So on the first day, he creates the habitation of light. He creates the place of light and the place of darkness. And on the fourth day, he creates the things that, that bear those, right? The light bearers, the, the, um, uh, the rulers of the light, right? The sun and the moon and the stars to rule over the day and rule over the night and to um, uh, give the seasons and all of those things. Okay. So you see the correlation day one, day four. So if we laid it out like this, day one, 
day four. So we say habitation. See, I love writing on the board, but then it doesn't underline things when I misspell it, you know, like it does on the computer. And then, uh, so habitation of light and darkness, right? And then the, the heavenly bodies, right? So you know, the light, let's say light bearers, right? Okay, so day one, day four. Okay, so now day two, oh, sorry. Yeah, day two and day five, right? Okay, so what's the correlation between day two and day five? What does he do on day two, verses six through eight? Okay, water and land. Again, what do you see God doing? Separating, right? God's organizing. He's not just creating, he's organizing. He's saying this is where the light, the land goes, this is where the water goes, right? So in the in the expanse, in the midst of the water, let it separate the waters from the waters, and God made the expanse and separated. And in fact, we haven't even really gotten to the land yet, right? We're really talking about the sky, the waters above, the waters below, right? So we're talking about the sky and the waters, right? So he's creating this habitation, again, habitation of sky above, water below. So again, you see these contrasts, this organization. So you have light, and then you have the sun that goes in the light, and you have the darkness, and you have this, the moon and the stars that go in the darkness, and then you have the habitation of the sky, and you have the birds that go in the sky, and you have the habitation of the water, and you have the fish and the sea creatures that go in the habitation of the water, right? So that's day two. I just gave away what goes on day five, right? But day five is what? Right? Birds and fish, right? Okay, so, so you have, you see the kind of the symmetry of it all. You have day one, habitation, light and darkness, and then the things that go in the light and darkness. Then day two, the habitation of the sky and the water, again, separating out, and the birds and the fish, the things that go in that. Okay, then day three and day six. Okay, what do we have on day three? Land, land right? Land. And what, what's the separation from? water, right? So the water's already there, obviously. But again, the primary focus, and again, this is why it's interesting that when we go to Genesis 1 and 2, we're kind of asking, where did stuff come from, right? That's kind of our big question. And, and although Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that, more specifically, I think what the writer is dealing with is how did stuff get to be the way that it is, right? How did how did the, the sky be separated from the water? How was the water separated from the land? How is the light separated from the darkness? Okay, so in addition to creating, God is separating. God is organizing. Okay, so on the third day, the primary focus is land. And then day six, what goes on the land? Right, yeah. So the animals and specifically the big creation on the sixth day is man, right? So do you see the symmetry of it? You see, the first three days, he creates these habitations. He separates things out. He says, here's the light, here's the darkness, here's the water, here's the sky, here's the water, here's the land. And then on the next three days, he says, okay, here's the things that go in those things. So he's creating, he's organizing, but maybe even more important than those two things is the task of delegating, right? He, like a king, is giving orders 
to the creation. Somebody already said spoke into existence, right? He's speaking and these things are happening. He's commanding, right? So let's think for just a second what commands, what tasks he gives to his creation in these verses. Just thinking through that or glancing over it, do you see any commandments? Especially as we get into days four, five, and six, and he's putting things in their place and he's telling them what to do. What, what does he tell what to do in, on day four? Rule, right? Absolutely. Right. He says they're going to rule, right? That's kind of an interesting word, right? They're going to be rulers, in a sense, of the sky, of the light, and the darkness, of the seasons. They're going to be rulers. He's giving them dominion. He's giving them rule. He's giving them command. He's delegating authority to the heavenly bodies, right? Okay? So he's giving the task of ruling. Then day 5, verses 20 through 23, what commands does he give there? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Reproduction, multiply, fill the earth, right? What else? Almost. We're almost there on day six. We'll get to that, right? Yeah, day five. See, look at verse 20 also. Let the water swarm with swarms of living creature. Let birds fly above the earth and the expanse of the heaven. They're giving, he's giving them their tasks, right? That's your job, is you're to swarm, and you're to fly, and you're to multiply, and you're to fill the earth, right? So he, he gives the space, their space, he separates out the light and the darkness, he separates out the sky from the water, he separates out the water from the land, then he populates it with everything that exists, and he tells it what to do. And he says, okay, go to work, fly, and rule over the day and the night, rule over the seasons, and, and swarm, and fill the waters, and multiply, and be fruitful, and fill the earth, okay? Then uh, the sixth day, right? Now he's brought forth living creatures, right, on the earth, animals and man, okay? So, again, if I had to summarize what God is doing in these six days, he's creating, what else? organizing, right? And delegating, right? He's delegating. He's telling things their tasks. And again, I, I don't want to dis diminish the questions that we typically come to the text with, because um, those are important questions. Where did stuff come from? But, but the text is telling us even more than that, even more than where things came from. It's telling us who commanded everything to be the way that it is. In fact, I think it's Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer says that it's not just God in a generic sense. Later on, he'll reveal himself as Yahweh, right? But even as we get to the New Testament, it says that Jesus himself commands it, right? That they obey the word of his command. Everything that is exists and is made by him, for him, through him, but he tells it what to do. He told the stars and the moon and the sun to rule over the night and the day. He told the fish to swarm in the oceans. He told the animals to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth. He tells man what to do. So again, being human, our first question, usually in our mind, is where did we come from? It's a good question. It answers that, right? That's a simple answer, right? You came from God. God created you. 
into the, that question, right? That, that's, that's easy. That's solvable, right? You didn't come from nothing. You didn't, you, you didn't come from an accident. You didn't come from stars, any of that. You came from God. God created you, period, right? Now, a more important question is, what are you doing here? What's your task? When the king created your kind, what was he intending to do? What was he intending you to do? What is your job upon this earth? That, that is an even more important question than where we came from, right? And so, and I think that's the emphasis of what the, this tells us about humankind. So, um, on your worksheet, we said, what task does God assign? Be fruitful, multiply, fill, swarm, fly, rule, all those things, good verbs. Um, but then we get to um, what sets apart humans from animals in verses 26 and 27. Now, typically what we say is something about the soul or the spirit, right? Well, humans have a spirit, animals don't have a spirit. We'll get to that, okay? I promise. That's one of the big things we're going to try to cover in this class. Um, but that's not the emphasis of Genesis chapter 1, okay? That's not the emphasis of Genesis chapter 1. So let's look at what the emphasis is here. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, now, according to Genesis 1, now, I'm not going to say that this is the only difference, but according to Genesis 1, as the, as the stage is set to understand God and His people, what does this tell us is the primary distinction between humans that live on the earth and, not that there's humans anywhere else, but humans that live on this land and animals that live on this land, created on the same day, but there's a huge distinction, right? What's the distinction? Created in God's image, right? I mean, there's this whole part where the story kind of stops and you can tell we've kind of climaxed to this important scene where God's created the animals and he's created the birds and he's created the fish. He's, he's filled everything up. But then he says, but now I'm going to create someone in my own image, in our own image. We could talk about that trinity, obviously, right there. But, um, but, but we're going to create man in our own image, as our image bearers in our likeness. Now, that's not a concept or a word, rather, that's foreign to Scripture, and it wasn't foreign to the people of this time period. Here's a couple different ways that it's used. Um, in fact, let me just ask you, what do you think the primary way the word image is used in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word? An idol, absolutely. An idol, isn't that interesting? So, in fact, what is it that, what other word goes along with image when you think of an idol? A, a graven image, right? So, what is it that graven images were made to do? To be an image of what? Of a God, right? To be worshipped, right? Now, were they supposed to make an image of Yahweh? No, no, absolutely not. Why? 
Okay, God is jealous, definitely. But what, the, as the stage is set here, and the very, the very beginning of the Decalogue, the, very, that was the Ten Commandments, the very beginning of the law, that this is who God is, and this is who you are, and you're not supposed to have any other gods, and you're not supposed to worship or make a graven image. Why? Does God have image? An image bearer? Us, right? He made an image, and we are it, right? Larry? That's absolutely true. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He was there. Okay, so, so when, we, when we think of image, it doesn't really mean this is what God looks like, right? In fact, even when someone would make an idol of a false god, they weren't really saying this is what that God looks like. Maybe they thought that that's what that God looked like, but they were really saying this is a representation of this God. I mean, we do the same kind of things. Don't get me wrong, okay? But we do the same kind of things with symbols all the time, don't we? I mean, we have symbols for our country. We have symbols. I'm looking across the street and I see the fire station. I mean, I can picture the fireman's logo in my mind, right? I mean, we see a symbol. We're not saying that looks like a fireman. You know, we're not saying that that... You know, but we're saying that's a representation, right, of a country, of a group, of a whatever. And what God is saying is these people that I am creating, this mankind, this is the representation. This is the representer of me. This is my image, my likeness. Freddie? So another synonym for that would be figure. Great. Yes, absolutely. A figure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it's almost like we are a banner or a flag of our God, right? So that when someone sees us, they're supposed to see the one we represent, right? We are flag bearers. That might be another way to think of an image bearer is we are carrying the flag of our God. That's what we were created to do. Now, one of the other ways that that term was used in the ancient world was of a king. And he was said to have been made in the image of his God, right? That was a pretty common way of thinking. So the Egyptians thought that Pharaoh was made in the likeness and the image of their God, or God's plural. And so when you think of it this way, you say, well, what does it mean that we were made in the image of God, that we were made in his likeness? Yes, it means to represent him, but it means more than that. Again, The primary focus of Genesis 1 is not just where did stuff come from, but it is what is stuff's task, right? Why were you created? So if we're going to understand what does it mean to be an image bearer of God, we have to understand the task of an image bearer, the task of a representative, right? So again, look at verses 26 through 28. And what do we see? Stewards. In charge. In charge. Great word. I mean, look at the words that he uses. Dominion. Verse 28, subdue and have dominion over it. What, what kind of people subdue and have dominion and are made in the likeness and are in the image of their God? Kings. Kings. Kings domain or Absolutely. Isn't that what he created man to be? Isn't that what it means to be an image bearer? 
that God created human beings in his likeness, in his image, to subdue and have dominion over what? Everything on the earth, right? He says, this is your job. This is why I'm creating you. This is what you're supposed to do is you are supposed to be the kings and not just kings. In fact, in Genesis 1, we're not even really separating out yet womankind from mankind, right? It's all right there in the same context. He created the male and female. And so not just kings, but queens, right? To have dominion and authority over all of the earth, subdue it, right? That's this beautiful picture is that God created us, created human beings to be co-regents with him, to co-reign under his authority. We have authority over the earth. Freddie? So would it be fair to say by the time we get to (coughs) chapter 3 and Satan is talking to the woman and he said, if in the day that you do eat of it, God knows that you will be as... That's, that, that's a good question, and we'll, we'll get, well, hopefully we'll get to chapter 3 next week. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, make sure I don't go over time. But, yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm coming back to this dominion. Yes. Image and, and so what, what's the one thing that is not their dominion? What's the one thing that is not their dominion? Not just the tree. It is the tree, right? But what, what is the tree all about? Life and death. Life and death, Absolutely. Yes, the knowledge of good and evil, right? Whose dominion is that? Right. Do you see how that works? God says, I'm giving you dominion over everything on this earth. Everything on this planet is yours. Subdue it. That doesn't mean forcefully or harshly. In fact, when we start to look at life in the garden, it's incredibly harmonious, isn't it? There's harmony. There's peace. There's not conflict even between the animals and man. There is no conflict. And so there's this harmony and this peace, and, and, and you are co-regents with God. You're co-reigning with God. And there's one thing that is not your dominion, that's not under your authority, and that's the knowledge of good and evil. That's God's territory. You stay out of that, right? I mean, do we see that picture? And isn't that what Genesis 1 and 2 primarily is intended to do? Again, I I want us to understand that we tend to go to Genesis 1 and 2 expecting it to kind of be like a science textbook, and it's really not intended to be that. Now, again, everything that exists has science behind it, and so God created science, absolutely. But the primary thrust of these chapters is theological, right? It's theological. It's so that we understand what it means to be a human being. And what it means to be a human being is that you're an image bearer of God. And what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? that you were made to be a co-regent with God, that you were made to be a king or a queen and have dominion over the earth. Now, of course, that plan goes horribly awry, doesn't it? And we can look around and see, yeah, that's broken, right? That's broken bad, but we're not there yet. But that's, that's the intention of God's creation is that we be co-reigning with him and that we... and. Do we see little hints of that in the New Testament? That we reign with Christ, right? Um, And that Christ is the first fruits of a new creation, right? (laughs) Get ahead of ourselves. But I just want you to kind of keep that in mind. This is what it means to be a human being. So what's the primary difference between a human and an animal? That an animal, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just 
in that to our likeness. Is there some distinction there? Yeah, that, there, those are two different words, and that's a good question, and I don't know exactly what the, the distinction is. They're obviously very closely related, um, but, but I'm not sure what the distinction is. That's a good question. I'm going to look that up because I did look up that they are two different words, obviously, but <laughs> Hebrew words, but I'm not sure what the distinction is. I did notice, however, and that's a great question, I did notice that in some of the, and obviously the language would be different, but in some of the writings of like the Pharaoh, the, the kings of Egypt, they also use that same type of terminology, a two different likeness and image. And so they're definitely related terms, but I'm not sure exactly what the distinguishing. I've always felt that it's uh, one or the other related to the nature of God as a spiritual being as opposed to a physical being. That, that, that could be, I suppose, but that's what's kind of interesting. And I'm glad that you brought that up. So let's think through this for just a second too. How do, as we get into the next couple of chapters, because we're running out of time, um, as we get, I'm glad, I'm glad that that got brought up, that physical idea. Um, so what task does God assign to humans in Genesis 1? Ruling, subduing, having dominion, right? That's, th those are our tasks. Um, now, Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And let's compare that with chapter 1, verse 24, and verse, chapter 1 and verse 30, okay? And see where we're going with that. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man, uh, the, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, okay? Just kind of think through those terms real quick. Then look at chapter 1 and verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And then verse, uh, where were we, verse 30? Yeah, verse 30. Um, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. Okay, what do you see there between humans and animals? Life. What's that? Life. life, yeah, absolutely. They both have the breath of life, right? Where did they both come from? The earth, right? They both, both animal and man came from the earth. And so in the sense that we are physical and we are living, we are like the animals, right? The only distinction in these texts is that we are rulers, right? Dominion. Now, again, we're going to, as we go through, we'll get through how do we differ maybe in, in other ways. How, do, how does our mind differ? How does our heart differ? How does our spirit differ? But as we look at this, the primary difference is task. The primary difference is that we were made the rulers. We were given, in a sense, the scepter so that we could co-reign with God, so that we could be his representatives, so that we were made to uh, rule and have dominion and subdue, and those kind of words that we talked about in chapter 1. Now, look again, same kind of idea. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Uh, we don't have time to read it all. Um, especially verse 5. When no bush of the field, this is chapter 2 and verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. Now, 
It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And I'm sure you've noticed this before, that if you're just reading chapter 1 and chapter 2, it, we, we shift gears, don't we? What, what's kind of happened? It's a different look at creation, right? It's look at creation through, with a different emphasis, right? And so now we're really primarily talking about the garden and what God is doing with the garden. And we're, we're kind of setting up chapter 3. Chapter 1 was kind of this big picture idea and the, go through the days and the dominion and the tasks that God has given to all of creation. And then we kind of zoom in on the garden. Now we kind of zoom in on uh, what's going on with this man and what's going on with his task. Okay, So when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? What's the emphasis there? No reproduction. Okay, okay, no reproduction yet, yeah. What's what, what, what's, does there seem to be a problem presented? What's that? Nobody to work it, right? So, you know, we tend to think of work as a product of the fall, don't we? We tend to think that in the garden, you sat on a hammock and you just kind of relaxed all day, right? I mean, that's what we think of. We think of paradise as no work. Was that God's design for human beings? No, absolutely not. God's design for human beings was that you were given a task, right? And your task was to reign over creation, right? And, and part of that is gardening, right? Part of that is taking care of the plants. And there, there wasn't these things because there was no man to, to take care of it yet. Now look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? Work it and keep it. That was his job before the fall, right? Why? Because that's what he is. He is a king, right? He's a king. He was made to be a king. He was made to rule and to reign. He was made to subdue. He was made to, and I think this gets back to the likeness of God. Do you remember in the very first couple of chapters, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? Formless and void. The, the Hebrew term there is tohu vavohu. It's kind of fun to say. Um, but it just means, most of the time it's used in the, in the Bible, it's like for a desert or a wasteland. And, and everything is just worthless, right? In fact, I've, I've often compared that to like uh, letters, right? If I just had a bunch of random letters up here, it would be tahu, tahu vavohu. It would, it, would be, it would be formless and void. There's no organization to it. There's no structure to it. There's no meaning. There's no purpose to it, right? But if I take and I organize, and that's what God was doing in his creation, right? He was creating and organizing, and I organize them, then now they have purpose and meaning, right? And that's what God has done with the universe. He's organized it. He's given it purpose, and he's given it meaning. And then he created us in his likeness and image to do the same thing, to go in where there is taho, taho vavohu, where there is formlessness and voidness and create meaning and purpose. And isn't that really what we do? I mean, if you're an accountant, anybody's an accountant? I don't understand numbers, but if you're an accountant, there you go. Um, then you, you take and you organize numbers, right? You just have a random jumble of numbers. They don't mean anything. But if you organize them, you put them in a set pattern, then they have purpose and they have meaning, right? I and mean, we do that with everything. We do that with bricks and we create something with meaning and purpose, right? We are, in God's likeness, we are 
creators, right? Not in the sense that we speak something into existence, but that's not really the primary focus of Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's also about, not only about, but it's also about organization and delegation, right? That's what kings do. That's what authority figures do. That's what garbage collectors do, right? We take stuff that's random and we make order and peace out of it, right? Now, we're supposed to be doing that under whose authority? God's, right? Because we're not saying we create right and wrong or that we can define right and wrong or even that we know right and wrong. We're saying that's God's dominion. My dominion is organizing stuff, right? My, my dominion is taking stuff and creating something out of that, right? Whether that's numbers or words or bricks or whatever it is. Isn't that a beautiful idea? And so here God puts Adam into the garden to do what? To work it and keep it. What do you do in a garden to work it and keep it? Till the ground. You prune, you water, you, 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 you take what's kind of a mess and it's jumbled and you create beauty and structure and purpose out of it, right? That's what God has done in the world. And then he puts man into this garden to do the same kind of a thing, to work it and to keep it. Now, verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. What significance does that have? I mean, I mean, when I was a kid, that used to really confuse me. It's like, well, kangaroo in English is its name, but I don't know what it was when Adam spoke. I don't know what language he was speaking. That's not the purpose, right? To say kangaroo and dog and horse. That's not really what's going on here, right? Why, why is God parading these animals by Adam and Adam is saying, that's its name. And it was its name. I mean, in fact, I never thought about that until just this second. But look at, again, how it says that. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. It was so, right? He spoke and it was so, right? And power, like God, authority, right? He's, God has given him authority over these animals. Again, the one thing he doesn't have authority over is what's right and what's wrong. But over the animals... And over the ground, and over the plants, and over the fish, and over the birds, God has given him authority to take and to organize into something beautiful and purposeful, to create order and structure in God's good creation, right? And that's what's going on here. And so Adam is living out what we saw in chapter 1, is that this is why God made man in his image, to work, Right? Now, where the fall comes in is that word gets hard, right? And it's hard. And, our, and the creation doesn't listen to us as well anymore. No, animals aren't parading by us anymore, right? Um, but, but we were always intended to work. We were always intended to take chaos and make something good and something beautiful out of it, right? And again, this sets up the rest of the story. Because does beauty and order and purpose follow this story? Not, not for very long, does it? Pretty soon it descends into chaos, right? Because man starts to try to define and to know and to have authority and dominion over what? Right and wrong. Each other, right? Yeah. They, they try to define what's right and what's wrong. And then there's nothing beautiful anymore. It just, well, there is stuff that's beautiful, but it just kind of collapses in on itself. 
Okay, so um, what tasks does he assign him to do over the animals and the plants, tilling, working, taking care of? Um, how is this connected with mankind's tasks? That's what it is to exercise the rule and the reign. Now, real quick, oh man, we only have a minute left. Okay, now, real quick, notice where does woman come from? Man. From man. Now this is different, isn't it? I mean, we're reading the story, we're kind of following it along. Why is this different? That woman comes from man. Where did the animals come from? The, the earth, right? Where did man come from? The ground, the earth. Where does woman come from? Man. The side of man, right? And by the way, that word rib there, I was kind of interested. I didn't know this before this week. That word rib, I don't think it's ever translated, at least in the English Standard Version, not translated rib anywhere else. It's side, right? It's almost like his side was taken, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? And made into woman. Why is that significant? She's not something else, right? She is him. And that's why God says, and they leave their father and mother and they cleave to one another and they become one flesh, right? And she was created for what purpose? To help him, right? Now, we've unfortunately abused that idea, haven't we? Um, in fact, I was really interested. I went through and looked up every other time this word happens. Almost always it's used in a military context to say it's almost like my right hand. Often it's talking about God being the helper of the army or God being the helper of the leader. It's not to say, oh yeah, that's my little you know, sidekick over here. That's not what helper means. It means they're my right hand. They're my side, right? And so they become one flesh. And, and to help man do what? His job, his task, to rule and reign. So that together, together, in harmony and in peace, they rule the world over the creation they take what is chaotic and they form good things they form things that have purpose and meaning and order and beauty and then the next chapter of course we throw that all away don't we okay thank you guys hope you have a wonderful evening appreciate your thoughts